0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to My Daily Trivia. I'm your host, Danny. Today is Tuesday, October 31st, and I hope that you're having a wonderful day. Happy Halloween, everybody, at least for those of you who are celebrating in the United States. It's Halloween. Not sure about the rest of the world. In any case, if you're in the United States or globally, if you're celebrating Halloween, hope you're having a good one. Now, if this is your first time listening, I want to say welcome to the show. My Daily Trivia is a 10-round quiz show with no specific themes, no specific topics, and no specific categories. But we do have a new episode every day, Monday through Friday, with each day getting progressively harder. Now, of course, today is Tuesday. Today's Halloween, which means that today will be relatively easy. Of course, it's um, harder than yesterday, harder than Monday's episode, but not quite as challenging as tomorrow's episode. Now, as always, if you find this episode to be a bit too hard, I encourage you to listen to the other episodes later this week. I still think you might have a good time. And on the other hand, if you find this episode today to be a bit too simple, well, take the day off. Come back tomorrow on Wednesday where we make it a little bit harder. Without any further delay, let's get into today's round of questions with question number one. Lake Geneva is a lake in Europe. Which two countries share its shoreline? And the two European countries that share Lake Geneva are France and Switzerland. Lake Geneva is a deep lake on the north side of the Alps, shared between Switzerland and France. It is one of the largest lakes in Western Europe, and it is the largest on the course of the Rhone River. 60% of the lake belongs to Switzerland, and 40% belongs to France. So, that lake that's uh, just on the north side of the Alps, split between Switzerland and France, that is Lake Geneva. Question number two. On a dartboard, what number is directly opposite of number one. Now there are 20 total numbers. Obviously, number one is taken out, so you have 1 in 19 chance at guessing this right. Did you guess 19? Because the answer is 19. Darts, or dart throwing. Is a competitive sport in which two or more players barehandedly throw small, sharp pointed missiles known as darts at a round target known as a dartboard. Points can be scored by hitting specific marked areas on the board, though, unlike in sports like archery, these are distributed across all of the board and do not follow a principle of points increasing toward the board's bullseye. Darts is both a professional shooting sport and traditional pub game. And darts is commonly played in the United Kingdom and the Republic of Ireland, recreationally enjoyed around the world. I recently saw a video of a darts competition, a championship. First of all, the room was packed. There were hundreds of people there to watch this dart championship. And uh, it was pretty epic. I'm not going to lie. It came down to the final throw. It was kind of fun to watch. If you haven't watched professional darts... Highly encourage it. Also very impressive. I've played darts myself. It's it's a tough game. And uh, I did not know that on the opposite side of the board from number one is 19. But now we do. I know that. Now you know that. Moving on to question number three. The flag of the European Union has how many stars on it? And The answer there is 12. It has 12 gold stars. The flag of Europe, or the European flag, consists of 12 golden stars forming a circle on a blue field. It was designed and adopted in 1955 by the Council of Europe as a symbol for the whole of Europe. Since 1985, the flag has also been a symbol of the European Union, whose 27 member states are also members of the Council of Europe, although in that year the EU had not yet assumed its present name or constitutional form. Adoption by the EU, or EC, as it was reflected then, uh, reflects long-standing desire to see the flag used by other European organizations. Official EU use widened greatly in the 1990s, and I can tell you personally, having been to several European Union countries, this flag has actually flown quite a bit. If I'm not mistaken, I think it's flown outside of pretty much every governmental building. Sometimes you'll be driving through just a small town somewhere, France, for example, and they have the French flag and they have the European flag. So, if you're uh, if you're ever in Europe and you see that blue, see that blue flag, just know that it has 12 stars on it. You don't have to count because you learned it here. You learned it here at My Daily Tribune. It's got 12 stars. Question number four. What item, more specifically, what material, is a werewolf most afraid of? And that would be silver, more specifically, a silver bullet, actually. In folklore, a werewolf is an individual who can shapeshift into a wolf, either purposely or after being placed under a curse or affliction with the transformations occurring at night uh, with a full moon. Now, also in folklore, a silver bullet is often used as one of the few weapons that are effective against a werewolf or even witches. So, in the event that on this Halloween night you run into a werewolf, well, hope you have some silver on you, because that might come in handy. Moving on to question number five. In what year was McDonald's founded? And McDonald's was founded all the way back in 1940. The American fast food restaurant chain McDonald's was founded in 1940 and has since grown to the world's largest restaurant chain by revenue. The McDonald's brothers opened their first McDonald's restaurant in, on the 15th of May in 1940 in San Bernardino, California. Originally, a car hop drive-in system was used to serve customers. The initial menu items were actually centered around barbecue And the first name the brothers called their business was was actually McDonald's Famous Barbecue. In 1948, the McDonald's brothers realized that most of their profits derived from the sale of hamburgers. So they shuttered their successful car hop drive-in establishment to create a streamlined system with a simple menu that consisted of only hamburgers, cheeseburgers, potato chips, coffee, soft drinks, and apple pie. So... If you've ever gone to a McDonald's recently or in the past, just know that it started all the way back in 1940. And it actually started with barbecue, which is interesting. I did not know that. Moving on to question number six. Chartreuse is a color between yellow and What? And that would be green. Chartreuse, also known as yellow-green or greenish-yellow, is a color between, obviously, yellow and green. It was named because of its resemblance to the green color of a French liqueur called green chartreuse, which was introduced all the way back in 1764. Similarly, chartreuse yellow, which is actually a separate color, is a yellow mixed with just a small amount of green and that was also named because of its resemblance to the color of another French liqueur called yellow chartreuse. A lot of French liqueurs out there that were naming colors after. Now the name Carthusian is derived from the Chartreuse mountains in the French Prealps. Bruno of Cologne built his first hermitage in a valley of these mountains and that was here that monks began producing the chartreuse liqueur in 1731. So that was all the way back in 1731, and now we have colors named after that liqueur. And those colors, well, that's chartreuse, and that's a mix of yellow and green. Moving on to question number seven. Nephelochysigia, I'll try to say that again, Nephelochysigia is the practice of doing And that is the practice of finding familiar shapes in clouds. Nephelocosigia is not only a hard word to say, but it's also a term used when people find familiar objects within the shape of a cloud. Now the word comes from the play The Birds by the Greek playwright Aristophanes. It is about an imaginary city built in the clouds by the birds at the instigation of two Athenians and represented both as a fantastic caricature of Athens in the poet's day and as a sort of Philistine utopia full of gross enjoyments. So evidently that was the name of the town that was built in the clouds. And apparently when you're laying on your back in the summertime, Looking up at the sky, at those big fluffy clouds, and you're finding dogs or elephants or zebras or whatever. Well, apparently what you're doing is called Nephelo Moving on to question number eight. How many notes are there on a standard grand piano? And that would be a grand total of 88 keys. The piano is a keyboard instrument that produces sound when pressed on the keys. Most modern pianos have a row of 88 black and white keys. There's 52 white keys for the notes of the C major scale. So that's C, D, E, F, G, A, and B. And there are 36 shorter black keys raised above the white keys and set further back. Those are for sharps and flats. This means that the piano can play 88 different pitches or notes, spanning a range of a bit over seven octaves. The black keys are the accidentals. So that would be like F sharp and G flat, G sharp and A flat, A sharp B flat, C sharp D flat, and D sharp E flat, which are needed to play in all 12 keys. So if you understood any of that, just know, walk away from this knowing that The piano has a grand total of 88 black and white keys. Question number nine. What do you call a snack made up of marshmallows, graham crackers, and chocolate? And that, of course, is a s'more. A s'more, which, for those of you who don't know, is spelled S-apostrophe-M-O-R-E, okay, so s'more. A s'more is a confection consisting of a toasted marshmallow and chocolate sandwiched between two pieces of graham cracker. S'mores are popular in the United States and Canada and traditionally cooked over a campfire. In the realm of camping, s'mores are a staple dessert. S'more is a contraction the phrase some more. The "more" recipe first appeared in Campfire Marshmallows Cookbook in the early 1920s where it was called a graham cracker sandwich. The text indicates that the treat was already popular with Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts. In 1927 a recipe for some more was published in Tramping and Trailing with the Girl Scouts. Newspaper recipes then began appearing as early as 1925. So that's the brief history of the s'more. And if you haven't had one of these things, I highly recommend it. It's quite easy to make. You simply toast a marshmallow until it's golden brown over the fire. And you sandwich it between two graham crackers with just a little bit of chocolate. Personal favorite of mine, I could probably eat eight, maybe nine, if no one stopped me. In any case, that's a s'more. Excellent, excellent snack. Moving on to our last question of the day. It's question number 10. What is James Bond's preferred drink of choice? And the answer there is a martini. Now, if you said Vesper. I would actually give you extra points on that. That's very impressive. That's some deep knowledge of James Bond. A Vesper is his version of a martini. Now, for those of you who are maybe not familiar, you've maybe heard the phrase shaken, not stirred, right? Shaken, not stirred. Classic. And that actually is how Ian Fleming, who's the author, that's actually how his fictional British Secret Service agent, James Bond, prefers his martini cocktail in the books. The catchphrase first appeared in the novel Diamonds Are Forever, though Bond himself does not actually say it until Dr. No in 1958, where his exact words are shaken and not stirred. Bond also has an iconic drink that he invents known as the Vesper. A Vesper differs from Bond's usual cocktail of choice, the Martini, in that he uses both gin and vodka, Kina Lilit instead of vermouth, and a lemon peel. Instead of an olive. So, once again, if you had said Vesper, I'd give it to you. That's pretty darn good. But overall, James Bond, he's taken a martini. He's taken that thing, shaken, and not stirred. Don't get it wrong. Don't get it wrong for James Bond. In any case, that will conclude this round of My Daily Trivia. Now, of course, if you found this round to be a bit too simple, tune in tomorrow. We're going to make it a little bit harder. On the other hand, if you found this episode to be a bit too difficult, I still think you should tune in tomorrow. You might have a good time. You might even know the answer to some pretty difficult questions. I want to thank all of you again for listening to my daily trivia. I'm your host, Danny, and I'll see all of you tomorrow.